0: You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, howdy everybody and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in action talking all things Texas A&M and well, the luck ran out. I mean, there's no other way to put it. The luck ran out against Arizona. The Aggies' awesome season run into the NCAA tournament has come to an end. The Lady Ags go home in the Sweet 16. We'll be discussing that. Plus, we will be talking about the past weekend series against the Georgia Bulldogs on the baseball diamond. Before we begin, this episode of Lockdown Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar, We're a protein bar meets a candy bar. Go visit builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next purchase. That promo code is LOCKED15 at BiltBar.com. As always, for all you new listeners joining us over here from Tigna, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this a more quality-sounding podcast, Monday through Friday, give me a follow, give me a shout-out, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked On Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th May related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. Alright, so let's talk about it. You know, the biggest thing that I take away from all this is that AM had such a good momentum game the week before against Iowa State. And they were set, and to be able to have Jordan Nixon make that shot is fantastic. And you want to see that from your future of the program. But that's got to continue throughout the tournament. And I feel like at some point, every player or every team hits that wall. That's the momentum. That's where it drops off. And you've seen it in every single sport. Where, think about this. So the Minneapolis Miracle. That like That's a perfect example. That was a fluke play that should never have happened, but because of a rookie safety led with his head, and didn't keep his eye on the center of Stefan Diggs' chest, Minnesota moves on to the NFC Championship game. That play should be done right there. But then it wasn't. The momentum swung in favor of the Vikings. And what happened when they went to go play Philadelphia? They got trampled. It wasn't even a close game. And yeah, it was between two backup quarterbacks basically in the NFL with Case Keenum and Nick Foles, but it didn't matter. All that momentum left on that one play. And honestly, I think that that was the same case in Nixon's scenario last week against the Cyclones. As it was coming in late in the fourth quarter, the Wildcats were able to score 8 points, basically... Finally, eliminating the number 2 seeded Aggies in the Sweet 16 by the score of 74-59. A&M will finish the season with a final record of 25-3, 13-11 in conference play, and it was defense all around. When you look at the defense, the Wildcats were able to provide 19 turnovers against 13 steals on their way to the first Elite 8 berth in over, I believe it's 5 years if I'm not mistaken. The defense and the team speed was really the story of the game, especially for Arizona. They overwhelmed the Aggies early, taking control by the second quarter and never looking back. Aria McDonald, the All American, uh, forced the uh, tempo to be playing in her favor, disrupting both of AM's offense and defense consistently while leading the scorers all time with a new career best 31 points, including six from the three point range. The Wildcats drilled 13 threes. Total in the overall game. Gary Blair head coach said after the game that it was pressure on Arizona that had the Aggies faltering early and late. Arizona had their hands on everything Blair said sometimes you got to play through contact because you have to play more in the NCAA tournament as a coach and as a player you have to learn how to play through it and we did not but Arizona was able to a&M's overall points that came around the rim were actually very good because of they had the sides with Sierra Johnson basically playing up against the post players for Arizona. Uh, despite grabbing more rebounds, because of AM actually had 37 versus 29 rebounds, the Aggies lost the turnover battle nineteen to eighteen, which allowed Arizona to score twenty eight of their seventy four points on turnovers alone. Blair acknowledged that when you were put out of your style of play, it was going to lead to a turnover, basically a turnover success for another team. Our strength was getting four people in double digit figures and sharing the basketball. That was not the case. We were doing it early. We got out of that. We started playing too much one on one, and that's on me. That's basically it. So you look at every single one of the Aggies games, or at least the two that they were played earlier this month in San Antonio. I think you had three players hit fifteen points or more. I think you had two range from that ten to twelve point. And then in that Iowa State game, I think five players had ten points or more. This game I think there was only two that had more than ten uh, that had more than ten points. For Aaliyah Wilson It was her final game in an Aggie uniform, and she praised her teammates even though this was a loss. This team was probably my favorite of the past four years to play on. It was really a special year and a really special group of girls. We accomplished a lot of things that people didn't expect us to do. We remained the underdog the whole time and kept proving people wrong. I wish we could have kept it here in the tournament. We made history this year on and off the court. I don't think I could sum up the sentence of what this year meant to me And my team as a family. It's just, again, this was a very weird year. I I, I don't really know how else to put it. It was a really just up and down year that nobody really knew what the expectations were. What was going to happen? What was the game plan? Because if you look at the, you know, what's been going on in just the world itself. And how can you have a thought process of anything other than, you know, what's going on? COVID-19, you have the the, the Black Lives Matter protest, you have sports basically coming to a freezing halt, you have some areas of the country still not allowing fans, other parts of the comp- country opening up, and an election. It's been a big year. It's been a very crucial year. And for A&M to go through all this, especially when you look at what the men went through, where they had eight games canceled, they weren't really able to get find their rhythm, they basically didn't play for a month, and by the time that they got back, they were so out of sync, they weren't able to make anything. I mean, anything. And when they did, they took a team that's now in the Elite Eight down to the wire before the last 30 seconds. So they weren't able to close out games. You look at the opposite side, where a and Women Basketball had to go through something very similar because of they were in the same spot. They kept that momentum. They kept the ball rolling. The only difference was they did not have COVID. Now, again, it's part of life. It's part of a story. It's part of everything that happens for a reason. But I do look at this and I think, okay, having that momentum is so much more important. I think people understand because of A&M's women's never lost it. And that's why they finished um, uh, 25-3 and on the year. And that's why A&M's men's basketball kind of just faltered and they didn't really have a great time. The Aggies enjoyed a significant fan support in San Antonio because they were closest as one of the home teams and it was great to have the uh, 12th man be supportive for their team. We came here and we heard how many fans had been here before the game started. We were so happy. Wilson said after the game, Jordan Nixon talks about the 12th man and the spirit of Aggieland. That's one thing. But when fans are actually there and you're able to feel the support of hearing them cheer you on, it's a whole different experience. I wish we could have had a different outcome, but hearing the yells and the cheers is such a good feeling. Again, you had a shot to go to the sweets to go to the Elite Eight to the Final Four. Fans did not have to travel that far. It was a it was a round spring break for some schools. That very first week of the tournament. To be able to have fan support is huge. And you gotta give a lot of credit to the 12th man for traveling just up the road on I 10 to San Antonio to give a lot of love to the Lady Aggs. Congratulations, ladies, on a good season. We will see you next year. We have the Elite Eight starting tonight, and the Final Four is right around the corner, which means the bets are going to be at an all time high. So, when you make your first deposit, go to the one place we love and the one place we trust right here at Locked On Podcast Network, and that's betonline.ag. Betonline.ag gives you the best buyouts, the best bets, and the best storylines to follow every single day you make a deposit. Plus, they give you up to date information every single time you make a bet. When you go visit them on social media at betonline.ag. Stop sitting on the sidelines and get into the action. When you go to betonline.ag and make your very first deposit, use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. betonline.ag, your online sportsbooks experts. Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in action talking all things Texas A&M. Give me 25 minutes. Just give me 25 minutes. Well, really give us 25 minutes because that's all we'll take to get you caught up on all the brand new sporting news today with lock On Today. Host Peter Pekowski breaks down all major news coming from all major sports in the United States right now, including everything going on at both the men's and women's NCAA tournament. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast listening systems or download the radio.com app to listen every single day. So, Texas A&M baseball entered the week on a losing streak. Now, that didn't really matter because of they're on a new losing streak, but actually, it's not that bad because of they won the series overall. Listen, a four-run seventh inning cost Texas A&M the chance at the sweep against Georgia this past weekend by the score of 6-4 to four on Sunday afternoon. The Aggies bullpen failed to uphold the 4-1 lead late in the series finale, however, Two early wins, including a walk-off on Saturday, guaranteed AM would win their first SEC series of the weekend. Now, of course, you don't want to lose that way. And that's exactly what AM manager Rob Childress said at the end of the game. Anytime you win a conference series in the SEC, you have to feel good about it. But the disappointing part is the chance to get a sweep with a 4-1 lead going into the seventh inning and not able to come away with the win. Mason Orleans walked Fernando Gonzalez to begin the 7th before back-to-back singles played at Gonzalez and chased Orleans. Childers elected to lead the lefty-on-lefty matchup um, and struck out Casey Collins. Then Alex Magers entered the contest. After striking out the first man he faced, he gave up back-to-back singles to make the game tied at 4-4. A walk to Coltate loaded the bases and spelled the end of Magers' Childers' pawn on lefty Will Johnston. The very first pitch he threw... Went to the backstop, uh, allowing Connor to Connor Tate to score, giving the Bulldogs the 5-4 lead. Georgia added another run in the eighth off a Josh McAllister solo blast. AM utilized five relievers behind uh, Chris Weber for the day, uh, uh, who departed the game when the uh, when the game was tied uh, after 4.1 innings of work. He made the spot worth it. With the absence of Bryce Miller, Weber allowed just one run off five hits, struck out four, and didn't issue a walk. Orleans came in uh, and was basically your star reliever, exactly what he's been trying to play this season. Worked out of a jam in the fifth, and the Aggies offense scored a pair of runs to take a 3-1 lead going into the fifth inning. Ty Coleman let it off with a double, and Ray Alejo brought him home with a single to stretch the lead to three. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough. With the loss A&M now moves to 2 and 4 in the SEC and despite coming up short Sunday, it was a successful weekend because they got out of their 0 and 3 hole from the week prior. So again, it's a confidence boost because of you went 0 and 3 against Georgia and then you lost to Rice. So you were 0 4 going into this. The Aggies return to Blue Bell Park at Olsen Field on Tuesday to host the Texas Longhorns. Since Texas A&M has moved to the SEC following the 2012 baseball season, the Aggies are 3-1 against their in-state rivals in regular season play. First pitch is at 6.02 p.m. And Rob Childress, who has been the manager for all this time since well back into the uh, into the Big 12 era, he's come out and said that there is not going to be any lost bad blood over the time, there's not going to be any loss of intensity on Tuesday night. I can assure you of that. I think a right now just needs to find their stride. I mean, think about it. They were able to get a big-time win on uh, Georgia on Saturday night. Yeah, 7-6 win. They moved to 17-8 on the year, which is actually more wins than Georgia. And Georgia's 1-4 and four in SEC play. They had the Ty Coleman, big walk-off RBI. They were able to pitch really well. And the bats have been alive over the past week. It's not the bats problem. The bats were alive in the series. They had a 6-3 win, a 7-6 win, a 6-4 win. So they at least scored three runs or more. And it was situational baseball when they did win. I do think that AM has a shot to be really good. But I think that, again, this game against... Texas is huge because it's a momentum swinger. To win against your rival, and a rival you barely even play anymore. Like, that's the biggest thing. You barely play them. To get that win gives you the confidence to beat anyone. And you look at the SEC and how loaded it is in baseball talent, you want to be able to have that confidence swing in your favor. You want to be able to have that game where you can look back and go, all right, well, at least we have bragging rights there. And that gives you the confidence with every other bit of, Of what you need to be successful in this game. But again, it all comes down to situational baseball. That's always what it's been. Hitting with runners in scoring position. Making sure that you don't swing at off-speed pitches that are low. Making sure you don't chase up high. Playing the count in your favor. That's always what you need to do when you're in baseball. You want to be able to make this a batter's count. And a batter's count is when the pitcher is ahead in balls and strikes. If you can make it a batter's count, you always have a shot to keep innings alive. And what matters is, eventually a pitcher's going to mess up. They always do. Every single every single pitch, a pitcher will mess up. He'll leave it hanging right right in the hot zone. He'll leave one right down the middle. And it's up to the batter to connect on it. Now again, if a batter's an, uh, an eighth of a second late on a swing... That ball isn't going out of the park. Instead, it's being fouled off straight back. But it looks and it sounds like it's about ready to be bolted. But it's pitches like that. that that's where a needs to be successful. They finally were able to play with runners in scoring position the past couple weeks. They didn't really rely so heavily on the long ball. They rather just played situational baseball against Georgia. If they can do that against Texas it gives them the momentum going into their next series in the SEC on Thursday to keep the drive alive and hopefully keep their season in favor of them being a top team in the SEC. This episode of Lockdown Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar. Now, we've been telling you for a while that Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar in the market, but it's because it's covered in 100% real chocolate and it's low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, and it's amazing taste, but Now it's time to figure out which one's the best. We are into our bracket challenge. Moving into our flavorful Four. We need one more to get us into our final four. To join Cookies and Cream, Cookie Dough Crunch, and Mint Brownie. It comes down to Caramel Brownie and Coconut Chocolate Chunk. I am not one... Of the coconut fans. But I do believe that coconut does have a shot. Because if you already see mint brownie moving on. You maybe want to make this a little bit more fair. Where you add the coconut flavor. Instead of another cookie flavor. Or another you know sweetie flavor. You want that zest flavor. But caramel brownie does have that caramel cascade filling that makes every bite delectable, kind of like a Milky Way bar. But it doesn't matter what I think, it matters what you think. Go visit BuiltBar.com and remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back in later today to see who is won and is moving on to the Flavorful 4. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, Cole Thompson, back in action talking all things Texas A&M. The NFL Draft is weeks away and it's time to start following our Locked On Draft duo. The Draft Dudes podcast, watch every single prospect, that way you don't have to, and the Locked On NFL Draft podcast is your daily draft news and mock draft podcast. Follow Locked On NFL Draft and Draft Dudes on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcast listening systems. Speaking of the NFL draft, let's talk about another player who's pretty much I wouldn't say under the radar, but definitely is not going to have that same hype as some of the other players in the draft, and that's Ryan McCollum. Listen, McCollum is a good player, and he has a lot of experience when you watch him to probably make a name for himself as a late round pick. But the biggest thing of all is you have to make sure that your pro day on March 30th is stand out. Eight players who are draft eligible are expected to take part in the event at College Station, uh, and according to NFL.com's Lance Zerline's discussion with each player's weakness and strengths, he has Ryan McCollum going into the draft as a 5.60, which falls under the classification as chance to make the roster or practice squad. What McCollum, uh, what Zerline said of McCollum was, he's an interior line prospect coming off his best season at Texas A&M as the starting center. He has a long high cut that lacks leverage to drive power at the point of attack, but he does a good job locating hands and proper placement that will active his play strength and secure blocks quickly as possible. He's an average athlete who's done a decent job in the uh, pass protection, but should be able to make most of his blocks as a lead blocker in the run game. Overall, the one thing you got to like about a guy like McCollum is he has veteran experience, not just at the center position, but also at guard. He played several seasons as a guard before he moved over to center. You got to remember that part of the reason Colton Prater also played center in 2019 was because McCollum was hurt. He does a very good job opening up running lanes. Uh, basically, he can play double teams. He can play solo teams. If he is asked to do to cover a three-tech, he can take on solo. If you ask him to probably cover a one-tech, he needs help. He's going to need your left or your right guard to pull down with him to create a extra gap that will allow a running lane open. Now again, it's only going to leave one running lane open because it's going to leave your other guard to have to either pick up the linebacker, be pulling to get to the other to the strong side defensive end or the weak side defensive end. So it's only going to open one running gap, but when you compare them together, it does enough. The one thing that you have to like about him is the same thing I think you got to like about every single AM offensive lineman. They improved it as a pass blocker. I mean, A&M, again, we talk about how much they only allowed four sacks on the year. They also allowed, I think, under 33 pressures. They were very talented at stopping the pass rush. And it wasn't just against teams like Vanderbilt and Tennessee and uh, Mississippi State. It was against Alabama. Alabama did not have a sack against them. In fact, no, uh, Vanderbilt had two sacks in that game in week one. That wasn't the case with a and and m did not allow these powerhouses like Florida and Alabama to run rampant on them to get to Calumon. And that's because of great pass protection up front from guys like McCollum, Hawker, Moore, and Carson Green. He works with his hands and feet in unison. Uh, The problem is is that he plays at a high level. The one thing I have realized is guards play a little higher than uh, centers. Now, again, you want everyone to stay as evenly as possible, But a center needs to stay even lower because of you. He is the one hiking the ball. He does not need to be coming up because of the trajectory of the snap is just as important as where your pad level is. Because if you snap it too fast or too high, it goes over the quarterback's head. It can lead to a turnover. It 100% leads to a blown up play. And unless the pass rush is, you know, basically playing a two-man pass rush with so much coverage and defense as a dime formation, or as a three-man deep set, you are not having a positive play on that, no matter how you look at it. He also is able to get pushed back by stronger pass rushers. So again, when going up against a nose tackle, that's why he needs to have double teams. Because if he is susceptible to being pushed back, which then will allow him to fall over, allowing the bull rusher up the middle, whether that be a three-tech, a one-tech, a nose tackle all add pressure to the quarterback forcing him to be flushed out of the pocket which then allows the edge player to make the sack it's not always about the bull rusher being the guy who gets the sack even though he is a I would say a no a defensive tackle pass rushing specialist it's about them putting pressure on the interior so he has to work to the exterior to get to the edge players he also has struggle um you know uh, hanging against the front slants. So what that means is when they're all blocking to the right, he is late to the call, which allows him to either open up a running gap or it allows him to open up a passing gap. But he was valuable. I mean, think about this. He's played left guard, right guard, and he's played uh, center. Not only that, he's also been part of two teams that have seen Immense success rushing the ball with Travion Williams. And then, of course, this past season with Anaya Smith, with uh, Devon A-Chain, with Isaiah Spiller. And this was a roster that did finish with a finalist nomination for the Joe Moore Award, which is given to the best offensive line in the country. They lost, which, again, I don't understand how, but they did. But I do believe that McCollum's best bet is probably to actually play guard than center because of his size, you want that center to have that low center of gravity and no pun intended, but that's the reality of it. And when you look at that, he needs to be able to, if he's going to play high, you want to be playing high. That allows him to pull and probably make plays off the pole. And at least when you're pulling, you play a little bit higher because if you have to run to the other side, to be able to set the block. So I think that that, if you, if he's not going to be able to work on his pad level, He's probably going to be separated as only a guard. I think any team that is looking for a run-heavy offensive lineman, and a, any team, so a team like Baltimore, maybe a team like Houston even in the seventh round, maybe a team like um, Cleveland, they would be interested in a guy like McCollum. I think that all those teams, because that they have rushing attacks, they're teams that are going to prioritize running the ball. I think New England as well would be a pretty good fit for him. But that's where he's got to go. He has to find a home where running is going to be a staple for 2021 if he wants to see any playing time. And if not, probably he's going to have to work his way up from the practice squad onto the active roster for next season. That's good for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies on tomorrow's show. Let's talk a little bit about the upcoming names who are the newcomers of Texas A&M. There's always new players who are going to make an impact immediately who are the guys that definitely could be having their freshman year or even a sophomore year impact like we saw with Damani Richardson, Andre White Jr., and, of course, Jalen Jones. Don't go anywhere. We will see you tomorrow. And remember, take them, y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.